little book of Jude. I'm sure that you've all had time this week to read the book. It's uh, only one chapter, so it's, it's not that hard to do. We're going to look at Jude, just the first two verses today. I, I really hesitated to turn to Jude. I, when I was coming to the end of Ephesians, I was praying and thinking, where do we go from here? Because... Uh, in the 10 years we've been here, I've only got one book that I haven't covered, and it's not Jude. <laughs> it, it, it's Jeremiah, and I'm saving that for another situation, but uh, I hate to start over again because the, the very first book I taught out at Jump Off Joe, if, if those of you that were there back 10 years ago remember, we went through the book of Jude, so they already got it all. And, and they're just going to sit there and daydream if I go over it. But I, I'm doing it for a reason. Uh, I'm going to, uh, if they think they got it all, they're in for a surprise because we did it in three weeks in our Bible study. We're going to do about seven weeks here. <laughs> we're going to take our time through it. And, and then I'm going to take a break for Christmas. We're, we're going to, first year I, in my ministry, I think, that I've decided to go through an Advent series. So we're going to start the first week of December and work through the Advent calendar this year. And, and so that'll take us up. And then I, and again, I have to apologize to the group at Jump Off Joe. Then I've been impressed that it's time to start back to the beginning again, back to Genesis. And so that's what we're going to do the first of the year. We're going to start looking at the book of Genesis. And I'll, I'll try to make it different than what everybody out of Jump Off Joe has, but that, that's the direction we're, we're moving here. But today, we're just going to look at the introduction to the book of Jude. Verse 1, we read, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Many people today reject the church. They feel that they can worship God out in nature. They can worship God on the golf course. Now, I've lived on the golf course for 10 years now, and I have often heard the name of God on the golf course. I've only once heard the name of God used in the form of praise. So I'm not sure how well you can worship God on the golf course or not. Uh, one, one individual made a hole in one right shortly after we moved into the house there. And he was jumping up and down and praising the Lord. And I think the praise was genuine because it, just from our brief conversation with him, it appeared to be a child of God. But uh, most of the time that God's mentioned there isn't to do with worship, I'm afraid. Uh, I, I always laugh, I don't do it to their face, but I laugh when people say, we're going to leave the church and we're going to start our own because we want to get back to the New Testament church. We want to be just like the first century church. And so we're going to start our own church and, and we're going to get back to, to the basics here. I chuckle because there is no clear picture in the New Testament of what was the first century church actually like. We don't have any order of service given. Matter of fact, we can't even 
conclusively say they use this form of government or that form of government. You can find congregational government in Scripture. You can find eldership government. You can find the Presbyterian system with the bishop and, and so forth, all included in the Scripture. The fact of the matter is that when we move that direction, what we do is we take our problems with us and our preconceived ideas with us. And, and it isn't long until we start our new, a new tradition and we're just back to square one a, a, again. Jude reveals a glimpse to us of the first century church in this little epistle. What was it like? What, what was going on there? And the fact that Jude reveals here is that they were facing some major problems and major battles. They were facing some doctrinal issues, some moral issues. And so things haven't really changed much over the years because we still face those same kind of problems today. As, as we look at this book, I think he's calling us to contend earnestly for the faith. That's one of the reasons I think that I've been drawn back to the book of Genesis. It's a, a book that's under tremendous attack even in theological circles today. Uh, liberal uh, philosophy and so forth is reinterpreting the book of, of Genesis. So we need to contend for the faith, I think, in, in, in that area. But why did the first century church have so many problems? They had problems because they were composed of people. <laughs> that, that, that's the basic reason. When you have a group of people, imperfect people now, you will have problems. Jude had a tremendous desire here in verse 3. Notice he wanted to write about our common salvation. What is it that we have in, in common? Uh, the Apostle Paul did that for us in, in Romans chapter 3 through chapter 8 there. He, he expanded that whole doctrine of salvation for us there. And Jude had the idea, I'm going to do the same thing, and I'm going to write about the common salvation. But before he could do that, he realized he had to contend for the faith. Paul had warned about that in Acts chapter 8, excuse me, Acts chapter 20. As Paul was getting ready to leave Ephesus, headed for Rome, called the church together, and these are some of the words that he left with them. He said, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own men, your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. That was the danger that Paul was wrestling with there. Peter gives the same idea in Second Peter chapter 2 where he says, false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false prophets among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even de denying the master who brought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And then later, Paul, writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, says, the day is coming. As we approach the end of this age, he said, men will depart from the faith. They will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And I believe that we are facing that today. 
we are seeing men and women introducing doctrines that are contrary to the word of God. So we're going to look for a few weeks at, at the book of Jude, then we'll take a break for Christmas, and then we'll get back to the basics. As you look at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you will find just about every doctrine in the New Testament has its roots from those particular chapters. And those 11 chapters are being written off today, even in many of our seminaries, as a myth and not to be taken literally. I think we need to get back to the Word of God and what does God say in in those areas. So uh, we're going to contend, in a sense, for the faith as we look at those particular chapters. But this morning, let's just look at the introduction. We are introduced, first of all, to the author. He identifies himself here as a bondservant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, if you turn to Matthew chapter 13, you will find the James that he's talking about here. It's not James and John, but... uh, this is a different James here in verse 55. It says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas or Jude? So this is the Jude that we are dealing with. He was actually a half-brother to Jesus Christ. He didn't believe in Christ as Christ was growing up. In John chapter 7, as Christ was making his last journey to Jerusalem, uh, as he was going up to one of the feasts there in uh, verse 5. Did I? Okay. You got the whole th- Good. Okay. Because in my notes it's 7-7, seven, seven, and it, I looked at that this morning, and it wasn't right. But verse 5 says, For not even his brothers were believing in him. That included Jude. Up until the crucifixion and the resurrection, they did not believe in Jesus Christ. They, they thought he was mad. They thought he was crazy. And it wasn't until after the resurrection that God got a hold of their hearts and they turned and began to worship him. Why didn't he introduce himself as a brother of Jesus or a half-brother of Jesus? I think on his part, it was partly an act of humility and perhaps a little bit ashamed of the fact that it took him so long to come to belief in Jesus Christ and to to really realize who he was. Uh, They had the same mother, the same family, but uh, I I think there's an important truth in that. It's possible to grow up in a Christian family and have Christian parents and not be a child of God. I think we need each of has to wrestle with, with that that truth there. I think of a man years ago, and I realize I'm differing from the covenant theology on this, but we had a, a man in our church, our first church, that got rather upset when his oldest son accepted Christ as his personal Savior. Uh, he had come to a, a, I don't know what his vacation Bible school or Sunday school, had made that profession of faith in Christ, went home and told mom and dad what he had done, and dad was upset because he said he doesn't need to accept Christ as Savior. We had him baptized as an infant into the church. He became saved through that infant baptism. He did not need to do this, and uh, he, he was taking his, his wrath out on us in a sense, but uh, 
It was interesting, years later, this same individual, this, he, he moved out of the community, had been in our church for, for several years, moved out of the community, came in contact with somebody from, I think it was Campus Crusade or, or InterVarsity, I'm not sure which, and he made a public profession of faith in Christ. And, and so uh, he realized, hey, it, it, was, it was good that my son made that choice regardless of where mom and dad stood and whether they had them baptized. I, I had an interesting conversation with him uh, during that time because I, I happened to know that his sister had also been baptized into the church and she was living a very wild life, far away from the Lord. And I said, well, what about your sister? She, is she saved? And uh, he said, well, to tell you the truth, she's what we call an unsaved Christian. That was a new term to me. I said, what do you mean an unsaved Christian? He said, well, uh, she doesn't believe in God. She, she doesn't have anything to do with the church. Uh, she's living a life of sin. But um, because our parents had her baptized, God's obligated to get her into heaven some way. He said, I don't know how. But if she were to die today, God has to get her there because she, she was baptized. I said, well, I think you better re-examine the scriptures on, on, on that issue. Because in Acts chapter 16... Verse 31, it said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whoever is baptized as an infant, but whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And again, in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it says, If we confess him as Lord, if we believe in our heart that God has raised him to the dead, we shall be saved. It is only if we come and we ask for his forgiveness and his cleansing that we are made into a child of God. It's an individual choice that each of us must make. And Jude had to do that. Even though he grew up as a half-brother of Jesus Christ, there was no guarantee he was going to make it to heaven unless he came and accepted Christ as his personal Savior. And the same thing is true of us today. If we're trusting in mom and dad, if you're trusting in the fact that you've been in church for many years, you've got a problem because it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so it's important that we wrestle with that issue today. And I think Jude, as he writes this book, calls us to that very issue here. Notice who he's writing to. He's writing the recipients here. He doesn't identify who they are. Were they individuals that he was writing to? Was this a a church gathering that was receiving this letter? He doesn't give us enough information to know who this letter was designed for. But he does describe the recipients to us in three ways. And I think that's important for us to consider here this morning. He, first of all, is writing, he says, and I lost lost Jude here. He's writing to those who are, what? The called. Those who are called by by God or by Christ Jesus here. Interesting construction here in the Greek. The uh, word called and I realize most of us today are not interested in grammar. Uh, some of you are homeschooling and you're trying to teach your kids grammar. But what happens when they get on the computer or when they text? 
grammar goes out the window. Nobody thinks about grammar a- a- anymore. Any of you struggle with that? Uh, I, I, I still even struggle to compose a letter on the Internet, let alone. I, I, I'd much rather do it on my typewriter or, or longhand than, than do it on the computer. There's too many shortcuts, and, and you, it just, I don't know. I, I guess I'm old-fashioned. <laughs> But, but that's, that's me, not, not you, I'm sure. But uh, in, in the Greek, the word called was placed at the very end of the sentence here. Now, that doesn't say much to us in English, but it did say something in Greek. Whatever was of most importance in the sentence was put at the end of the sentence. So he put it there to stress the, the importance of this. And he's stressing the fact that you and I have been called of God. I don't know about you, but I thank God that he called me, that, that, that he wanted me to be a part of his family. We find that call in many scripture. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many times have you come looking for rest? Because he invited you to come. He called you to come. He wants to bear that burden for you. What a tremendous blessing that is. In John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him what? Let him come to me and drink. Have you ever had your thirst satisfied by Jesus Christ? Not, not your physical thirst now, but your spiritual thirst, like the woman at the well. She, she had a, a, a real need in her heart, and she didn't even realize it when Jesus said, I, I'm going to give you the water of life. She thought, hey, I won't have to come to this well and draw water anymore. No, he meant I'm going to... Deal with the heart issue, what, what you're really struggling with in, in your inner being there. He's issued that call to us today. In Romans, Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, we have the call of coming home to be with Christ. He said he's coming quickly. He said, come, come, come unto me there. And, and what a privilege that is. The problem is that elsewhere he says many are called but few are chosen. How do we wrestle with that? How, how do we deal with that today? I think the call that he has issued to us is found in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, where he said, Whosoever shall what? Call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is an invitation that is extended to any and everyone who will respond to that invitation. The problem is many hear and refuse to believe. Many hear and make excuses why they can't today. Uh, Jesus gave a parable about that. Remember the parable of the man who was putting on a, a, a marriage feast? Sent out invitations as was the custom of the day. And then when the actual day of the feast arrived, he would send, if, if it was a, a rich situation, they would send the servants out and remind the people, hey, this is the day. Uh, everything's ready. It, it's time to come for the feast. And you recall... As the servants went out, one man said, I just bought a team of oxen. I've got to go out and try it out. I can't come to the feast. Kind of a lame excuse, wasn't it? Uh, Did you have to wait till that day to try them out? Couldn't you do it the next day? What what, what difference was it going to make? Uh, Another man said, I bought a piece of property, and uh, I've got to go and see what kind of land it is. Uh, You've got to question the wisdom of some of these individuals. How many of you would buy a house or a piece of property before you looked at it. That's what he implies that he did there. He had to, had to go and look at it. Uh, another one said, I've 
married a wife, I'm too busy, I can't come. Now, I realize if you get married, you're going to be busy. That's, that's a fact of life. But, uh, you know, you get those honey-do lists, they come pretty quick. <laughs> and they, they get longer and longer as the years go on. But, uh, uh, again, why couldn't he bring his wife t- to the wedding? They, they just didn't come to the feast. And I wonder how many people have heard over and over again the message of salvation, have heard the call of God, and they just, for one reason or another, one excuse or another, have just refused to accept Christ as their Savior. There's two sides to the call. There is the sovereign act of God, and I think Romans 10 gives us that viewpoint, whosoever will, may, what? May come. Uh, we, we can come to him for salvation. God in his sovereignty has made that a, a possibility, but it comes down to an individual choice. It comes down to our viewpoint. Have we made the decision to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? Uh, it, I, I think of uh, uh, marriage in that connection. We, we often wonder who chose who. I, I like to think I made the choice. I, I asked Ginger if she would be my wife, and she for one reason or another, said yes, but uh, so I, I, I made the call, but she had to accept it. If she had said no, it wouldn't have happened, and that's the same thing with God. He has issued that call. If, if we want that salvation, it, it's freely offered to us, but we have to say yes. We have to accept it. We, we, we have to make that decision to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. And so praise God today, if, if we've made that decision, we are part of the called. We have been called of God, and, and we can rejoice in that fact today. We are also, the second thing that he says here is we are also the beloved. He uses the same word that God used of his son. John chapter three sixteen speaks of the fact that God so loved the world that he what? sent his only beloved son into this world. And now he says, we are beloved. Why? Because we are joined together with the son. Romans 5, 8 speaks of the fact that uh, when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he loved us. He called us. He, he brought us into his family. What a tremendous blessing that, that is. In First John chapter 3, John marvels at that. Um, he says uh, in, in verse 1, See how great a love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Do you ever meditate on the love of God? Do you ever get overwhelmed with how much he loves you? Think of, you were an enemy. You, you were opposed to him. You were fighting against him. And, and yet Christ went to the cross to die for you. He loved you that much that he was willing to do that for us. In verse a few verses later in chapter 4, Paul says in, in verse 10, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. We are loved today with an everlasting love. In, first, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, he speaks of the fact there is nothing, nothing in this world, nothing in the world to come. In other words, people or principalities or powers or angels or whatever. He said there's nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God. You ever doubt his love? Meditate on the cross. 
take a look at what he actually did for you on the cross of Calvary. That's the measure of his love today. I like Jeremiah 31, verse 3. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. We can rejoice, I think, in the fact today that God loves us. God has showered us with his love today. And then he uses a third word here. He says, we are not only called, not only the beloved, we are kept. In Greek, the word kept means to watch over or stand guard over. And the idea is that he is watching over us. He is guarding us. He is keeping us and keeping us for glory. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Peter says, we are kept, that same word there in my translation is protected, but it's the same word. We are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. And he goes on to say we rejoice in this fact. We may be in the midst of trials, he says in verse 7 there, but so what? We know the end result. You, you've heard that phrase many times, this too shall pass. In the world, we're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulation. We're we're going to have some suffering as we walk through this world. But guess what? It's going to pass. We're going to be home someday with Christ in glory. What a, a glorious future we have to look forward to. And not because of what we do, but because we are kept by Jesus Christ. In John chapter 10, verse 28, speaks of the fact that he holds us in his hands pretty safe place to be, isn't it? In the hands of God. We are secure in him. Paul had that confidence in sec- as he approached the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In verse 18, he said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely, where? To the answer that I'm looking for? To the, the, the answer that I'm praying for? No, he was in prison. He was facing the possibility of being beheaded there. No, what he says is here, he said, he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Paul lived with eternity in mind. He knew in this world he may give his life. He, he may be called, and as he actually was beheaded there, but he said, so what? I'm going home to glory. I'm going to be with Christ in, in, in eternity. And you could write to the Philippians and say, it doesn't matter whether I live or die, as long as God's glorified through my life. Now, he said, I, if I had my choice, I'd go home, but uh, I, if I don't have my choice, I'll stay and serve. Uh, that, he was willing to do that because he knew ultimately he was going to be home with Christ in glory. How is that possible? Well, Hebrews seven twenty five gives us the key there, I think. Speaking of our high priest in heaven, he said, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He's going to see us safely home to glory. He's praying with us every step of the journey. And so Paul, or or Jude, then in a sense has a prayer here in verse 2. He prays for, first of all, for the ones he was writing to, he prays for mercy. Mercy because we still live in a sin-sick world. Mercy because we struggle and we fall at times. And praise the Lord in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Why? Because he's a merciful God. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 invites us to come to the throne of grace that we might find mercy 
and help in time of need. Mercy is God withholding the judgment that we deserve and blessing us with the the blessings that, that we don't deserve. And then he prays for peace. We looked at that last week. What a tremendous blessing peace is. John 16, 33, he said, In the world you're going to have tribulation, but I give you my peace. Romans chapter 5 speaks of the fact that we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God. And again, in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I'm not going to take time to develop that this morning, but we can experience the peace of God as we come with prayer, with supplication, with what? Thanksgiving. And God will see us safely through the storms and the trial and the pain. We have the quiet confidence in our heart that God is in control of our lives and he's going to see us safely home to glory. That's the peace that he gives to us. And then he prays for them to, that love would be multiplied in them. Love is a tremendous gift. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, Through the Holy Spirit, the love of God has been what? Poured out in our hearts. An abundant supply there. Uh, the idea that he gives us in Romans is we're, we don't manufacture that love. He, he showers it upon us. We're simply the pipeline through which that love flows from God to someone else. We, we have the privilege of, of loving because he first loved us, 1 John four eighteen. So we don't need to be afraid of tomorrow. Romans eight thirty two says, if he didn't spare his own son but deliver him up freely for us, how shall he not with him give us all things there? Praise the Lord for the end of the book of Jude. As he contends for the faith here, he comes down to the conclusion in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time now and forevermore. A tremendous benediction. That, that he gives as he closes his book here. As we think just for a moment of the introduction here, I think Jude would say to us, God has issued a call. Have you accepted that call? Have you come to him? Ha- have you realized your need of salvation and accepted him as your savior? If not, he's speaking to your heart today. You need to do that. Have you come to him for peace? You're struggling, you're in the midst of a trial. Do you recognize, he said, come, I'll bear the burden. I'll help you through that that trial and that situation. Or do we allow worry to crowd into our lives and get upset? Do we really believe that he will see us safely home to glory? Are we drawing on the riches of his grace today? I'm going to ask you to bow just for a moment of prayer. And as our heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I just wonder if there is someone here today that has never answered the call of God. He's called you over and over again. He's asked you to become part of his family. He said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm going to ask you if you haven't made that call to do so today. Just quietly slip up your hand and indicate that you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Give you a few minutes to wrestle with that. Father, today we thank you that you have called us to be part of your family. We don't understand why you would do that. 
but we thank you that you did. We can't begin to fathom the depth of, of your love that made that possible, but we thank you for that love. And now, Father, as we think of that, you've called us to peace. You've called us to love. You, you've called us to enter into the blessings that you've showered upon us. Give us the wisdom to answer that call, to accept what you want to do in our lives, and to look forward to the day when we'll be with you in glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask Dan to come at this time for our announcements. He's here somewhere. There you are. <laughs>